All right, good morning, church. Good morning, Rock Creek, 9 o'clock service. Glad that you're here. Go ahead and grab a Bible or your iPad or your iPhone or whatever you use to use the Bible. Go ahead and grab that. Open up to Matthew chapter 7. We are uh, finishing our series that we've been on called Wrestling with God. We've taken several topics. Alex uh, did an incredible job last week. I finished listening to that on Doubt. Uh, and so if you miss that, you can grab that both on our app. Uh, on your phone or our website, both have it on doubt. You're going to want to catch up with that. But we've covered doubt. We've covered hell and suffering and pain. Uh, we've uh, taken a look at giving and, and things that we struggle with typically of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a devoted follower of Christ, and then w what is what does the Bible say about certain topics and why are those so so difficult for us. And so we've really kind of wrestled with God. And we started by saying, if you, if you wrestle with some of these topics, you're going to walk away with a limp. You're going to walk away with a little bit of pain because there aren't always easy answers. There are, it's not just so simple to talk about. And this morning will be uh, another one of those as we conclude this series. Uh, several years ago, I was working for a, a Christian camp called Forest Home. Uh, in the San Bernardino Mountains in California. I was uh, a prestigious fourth and fifth grade outdoor education teacher, uh, making $116 every two weeks. And it was an incredible time. And my job essentially as a fourth and fifth grade outdoor ed teacher was to take kids on hikes, teach them about uh, the outdoors and rivers and nature and everything, and then teach them about God. So it was a pretty sweet gig, but I, I really enjoyed it. And I took this group of kids on this pretty long hike at one point, one of the weeks, and probably a little bit too long for their little legs and for mine. And as we kind of made our way throughout the mountain, we kind of looped back around and began to kind of hike back down the mountain. And by this point, I'm kind of done. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been on a hike and you're really far away. And you're kind of like done with walking and exercising and hiking, but you still got to go. And uh, as we're heading down foot over foot, this camper, this little camper kid turns to me and he says, hey, Brian, is there another way down this mountain? <laughs> and I go, man, there, there is not. We, we have to get home. Uh, and so we begin to climb down this mountain again, foot over foot over foot over foot, just walking down this mountain. And, he, and again, he pauses and he goes, hey, Brian, this is hard. <laughs> and I go, yeah, no kidding. I might die on this hike. And if I do, save yourself. And we kind of laugh about like, sometimes we're on a journey and it's super fun. And other times there's no other way but down. We've got to keep hiking. And I share that story because in the Christian life, Sometimes life will happen and we go, man, is there any other way? Is there any other way to accomplish this? Is there any other way to walk through life? Because what I'm going through is, is hard or it's uh, confusing or it's not convenient. And we'll say, is there any other way down this mountain of life? Is there any other way to accomplish that? Or we look to our right and left and we go, man, this is hard. Maybe you've been there in the past. Maybe you're there right now. Uh, but life can be hard. And following Christ 
is hard. It's very clear in the scriptures, and what we're wrestling this morning is the hard reality of the Christian life. That's our topic this morning, is there are some hard realities that if we say we're going to be a Christian, if we are going to follow Christ, not just believe in him, but if we are going to follow Christ, you are in some very hard realities facing you. We're going to address those rather than kind of skirt around those or, or try to just act like everything's great. We're going to address some of these difficulties. Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bibles... Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13, it says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the, the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The gate is hard. Jesus is hard is what we read. And one of the things I want to present to you as we're navigating scripture this morning is that the way, the gate, the narrowness of walking with and following Christ is hard. There's no other way we can cut it. There's no other way that we can pacify it. It's Jesus, it's hard, and there's some hard realities that come with him. Galatians chapter 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. A lot of us have memorized that. If you've grown up in the church, you've gone through a, a Bible camp or a Awanas or something like that, you've memorized those things. And yet when we begin to dig deep into what exactly does that mean, what are the ramifications of that verse, something changes. When we look at Galatians 1, Paul gave the church of Galatia, an exhortation. But contextually, when he wrote this, he was actually struggling with the people in the church of Galatia. Why? Because they were trying to find life in anything but Jesus. We do that. You do that. I do that. Maybe we don't do it all day long, but there are moments we try to find life fulfillment, understanding, identity in something other than Jesus Christ. About the law, he says, the law can't justify you. Following the law, being obedient to the law, doing the law really well, it cannot justify you. And the question then is, well, how do we live? And he says, you have to die to yourself. The word crucify literally means I was once dead and I'm still dying. Wrap your mind around that. I was once dead and I am still dying. It virtually means that as a follower of Christ, it's great you die to yourself, but it is every moment, every situation, every conversation, every moment of every day, you die to self. And why do I go to that verse? Because I think it's pivotal that we understand that not only have we died with Christ as he acted through the power of the Holy Spirit on the cross, but we're constantly dying daily, if you would, from 1 Corinthians 15. So three hard realities that come with following Christ. And I, and I really encourage you Identify one or all that you genuinely struggle with. I almost promise you there will be one. 
The first reality is this. It's hard, but it's necessary for the devoted follower of Christ to be led by Scripture. Not to know Scripture, not to study Scripture, but to be led, guided, directed by Scripture. And I say this in the context that we're making it about Jesus. We're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, not a bunch of Bible thumpers. This isn't know your Scriptures so that you could win. This is know your Scriptures so that you can be led. And the dying Christian takes Scripture very, very seriously. Psalm 119 says this. The psalmist starts off saying, Blessed are those whose ways is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but they walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn of your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Ezra chapter 7 verse 9 says, For the good hand of his God was on him, for Ezra. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. It's not enough to study the word of God. You got to do it. It is not enough just to study it. You have to apply it. You have to implement it into your life so that it finds growth. Anybody who I've talked to in years and years of ministry who has hit a stagnant point in their faith, I ask them first and foremost, how is your time in the word of God? And almost, not always, but almost always, it's rough. They're not in the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So let me ask you a question. If you had a friend or family member or neighbor walk up to you and ask you anything on any subject, be it marriage, sports, politics, finances, raising children, reconciliation, relationships, sex, love, whatever it might be, would you be able to take them to the scriptures and say the Bible has an answer for that? This is just a, a, a place for you to wrestle in your... Do you know your Bible? 
Do you read your Bible? And do you read it and understand it and then seek to apply it? That's what Christians do. That's what fully devoted followers of Christ do. This is a very hard reality. Why? Because it takes a lot of time to read your Bible. And it takes an awful lot of courage and humbleness to take what scriptures say and then apply it. It's not easy. And if 2 Timothy 3 is correct, then those of us who call in the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord should be passionate about the scriptures because our call is to proclaim his excellence and we only know his excellence if we hear about it or read about it and dive in and get to know him. I go back again to Reverend Billy Graham. Was he perfect? No is the answer. He was not perfect. He would be the first to say he was not perfect. Even in his later years, he became even more transparent with his imperfectness. But boy, did he know his Lord. There wasn't any get-to-know-you time in heaven. It was immediate. And I wonder sometimes, for the follower of Christ, are you going to have to get to know God when you get there, or do you know him? You see, the influence of our culture is raging right now. It has been raging for a long time. It's even more so with the explosion of social media and the internet because everybody has information, everybody has guidance, everybody has advice. You hear more people quoting Ellen and Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil than they do the Bible. The Bible, holistically, in our culture, has become virtually obsolete, except during crises, except during heartache, except when there's a school shooting, and now Scripture is quoted, and people pray. You have more people stuck on People Magazine and TMZ, caught up in the lives of Taylor Swift and Beyonce and one of the Kardashians more than Esther or Ruth or Mary. That's who we're concerned with. You have more people concerned with Channing Tatum and Blake Sheldon being named the sexiest men on earth than they are infatuated with the life of Paul and how he lived out his Christian faith. So here's what happens. We begin to outsource all of these things. We begin to outsource advice and direction. And one of the major worldviews is through what's called neo-romanticism. Maybe you've heard of that or you've, you've heard it in passing. It was birthed from the postmodern movement. And it virtually means that truth is defined by a spiritual searching of my soul and what makes me happy. So truth and my identity, my, my worth is found in what makes me feel happy. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Christ is saying, no, it's not about your happiness. This is a hard life. It's going to cost you an awful lot. He looks at us and says, I don't promise you happiness. 
I don't promise you riches. I promise you me. I, I promise you a relationship with the God of all creation. That's what I promise you if you follow me. And it's, when it's all said and done, the treasure, the Bible says, is not something that's going to rust or deteriorate or, or struggle. Hi. Hi. Oh, not yet. <laughs> okay, you can go have a seat now. <laughs> can we thank Michael for leading us in worship? You're so good. <laughs> I think Beyonce just got him, and he just felt Holy Spirit come over him. There's a second hard reality for the fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, and that is we take our sins seriously. We read our Bibles, we know the scriptures, but we, we truly address sin. We don't sweep it under a rug. Students in the room, you guys are going to have sin. You're going to have struggle. The enemy is going to taint you, and you're going to have to address it. That's what followers of Christ do. They're aware of their sin. When I was in junior high, I used to go over to my friend Joe's house, uh, and my other friend, Ken, Kenny, would join us, and we would have BB gun wars. Um, now they use airsoft and paintball. We used BB guns. And sometimes in the house, got in a lot of trouble for that one, um, but we would have little BB gun wars uh, throughout kind of his wooded area. And so you learned very quickly, put on a lot of clothing, a lot of sweatshirts uh, to pad yourself. Um, paintballs, paintball guns didn't exist. And, one of, and, and so Joe and Ken were always looking to kind of elevate the, the friend interaction. I call it the pain interaction, but they were always looking to like elevate how we could somehow end up in the emergency room. And one day they decided, uh, they, they started this new game where they would light sticks on fire and then toss them to each other. You had to catch it and then throw it to another friend. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, this is stupid. But I went along with it. And uh, so they began to light all these sticks and Joe and Ken would, would catch it and they would, ah, you know, they burn their hands. And then they threw, I remember they threw one of the sticks to me and I put my hands up and let it fall to the ground. And they're like, what are you doing? I said, it's on fire. This is a stupid game. Let's go back to the guns. I would rather shoot each other with BB guns. Why are we, why are we throwing burning sticks at each other? And they thought about it for a second, and we went back to the BB guns. Kids just do stupid things. That's what we do, even more so for a boy. B young boys, we're just stupid, aren't we? We, ju we just are. Sorry. You grow out of it in your... I don't know. Bill, how old are you? 76? You grow out of it when you're 77. I don't know. I don't know when you grow out of it, but we do stupid things. And, and I, I tell you that illustration, and the parallel is this. The purpose of fire is to burn. 
That's what it does. The purpose of sin is to burn you. That's what it does. And yet as much as we can go, well, that's a really stupid game for two, three seventh graders to play. And yet we play with our sin when sin's intent is to burn us. And how many of you believe that the purpose of our flesh is being aroused to burn us? But that's what sin is. Romans chapter 13 says it like this, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't make provisions to satisfy the desires of your flesh. And why does that matter? It matters because we need to understand that everybody in this room, we deal with temptation and sin differently. What might be a temptation for one might not be a temptation for another, but we all have something. We have desires, and maybe that desire is, is more elevated or more aroused in one person than it is the next, and that's fine. But there's a reality. We all have the same desire when it comes to eating. We're hungry. The body needs food to survive. But outside of the Bible, if we're not rooted in Scripture and we don't see Jesus for who he is, that can turn to gluttony. And you could take, you could take out food and substitute it with something else. We all have the desire to be needed or the desire to be longed for, to be in fellowship. But outside of the Bible, that can turn dangerous. It could turn into idolatry or it could turn into self-pity or it could turn into arrogance or a really, really bad unhealthy relationship. We have the desire to be pursued, to be wooed, to be romanced. But without that, it could lead to danger. And so we have desires. It's where sin comes from. But if they're not kept in check, if they're not addressed, even from a starting at a very young age, you students in the room, then we can fall down a slippery slope. And the Bible is saying, stop making provisions for your sinful desires. Don't put yourself in a position where you are going to be tempted. Address your sin. Maybe that's a change of friends. Maybe that's a change of movies. Maybe that, that, that's a, a change of, of how many credit cards. You name it. I, I don't know what yours is, but we have them. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, let anyone who thinks that he or she stands take heed lest they fall. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. If you don't take heed of your sin, you will fall. And in many cases, you will fall hard. So why does being serious about sin even matters? It's because if, if, if our attention is on the flesh, we have these little side battles that are going on with our sin. And what happens is if we have these little side battles with our sin, it takes our attention off of Jesus and we're not growing in Christ. Again, this is not for everybody. This is for someone who wants to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. 
If you want to be a passive, if you want to treat Christianity or God as one of your hobbies, one of the things you do, this isn't for you. Don't waste your time. But if being a fully devoted follower of Christ, if making Christ Lord is something that you're desperately wanting to figure out, then addressing sin has to happen. And one of the ways, one of the reasons why we address sin is because the Lord has more for us. More in life, more in relationship, more with our work, more with our, 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 our side pleasures, sports, music, movies, art, whatever it might be. It's more. He wants more for us. C.S. Lewis says that we humans in regards to sin, we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday on the sea. That, and that's what we do. Our sin becomes our world when we don't realize the world that God has waiting for us. So the hard reality is that to learn scripture is tough. To let it guide us is even more difficult. To separate ourselves and make no provisions for the flesh is hard. And the last point I want to address is the sonship of Jesus Christ. The hard reality for the follower of Jesus Christ is this. Jesus is the only way. It is not up for discussion. It is not up for debate. It is not up to throw around ideas. Jesus is the only way to salvation and eternity with the Father. There is no other way. There is no other way to accomplish it. The Bible says it's a very narrow, radical, irrefutable, narrow-minded belief. And it's true. There is no other way to heaven. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, let me tell you what this is not. This is not Bible 101 so that you can win an argument or a debate with friends. This isn't so that you can have the answer and just win something. It's not for that. It was never intended to be about that. It's about this God-man who loved us and gave himself up for us on the cross. That's what this is. And our world around us needs to know that Jesus not, not the truth, apologetic, fight in an argument so that you win, Jesus. A.W. Tozer says this in his book, if we do not give people a clear picture of who Jesus is, then they will not realize the despair and the weight that they are under, and they will see no need for a Savior. I have family. Snow. I hope. <laughs> John's nodding. It's snow. Um, I have family, I have friends, dear friends, and you do as well, who see no need for Jesus. They don't see the point. In fact, we think, many of mine think I'm crazy. But if they don't see the clear picture of who Jesus really is, then how are they going to know that they need him? 
because the road is narrow, and the scriptures say that that gate is Jesus, and that gate is very, very narrow. And unapologetically, the follower of Jesus Christ says he is the only way. And in a culture where we're redefining everything from history to current news, we, we're redefining everything, it, live, lifetime. We live in that culture in just like that, the, the definition of following Christ, the, the definition of being a Christian is constantly being redefined and watered down and up for discussion. And somewhere, at some place, there needs to be a group of people that are, that are fully devoted to following Christ that allow him to dictate everything. Nothing else. This Jesus who was born of a virgin, he lived a perfect life, who stood as a silent lamb and he looked Pilate dead in the face with humbleness and respect. But he also said, you have no power over me, but what is given from on high. No one takes my life. I lay it down. And then Jesus goes to the cross, innocent. He takes upon wrath. He raises from the dead and he stands next to the Father. And I love the contrast because if you look when Jesus rose from the dead, there's a contrast. He said these very things to his disciples. Before he was put on the cross, he said this, I no longer call you a slave, I call you friend. And that's what everybody wants. We want our Jesus buddy. We want our Jesus bobblehead. We want our pal. We want our buddy. We want someone to kind of hang out with when we want to hang out. And he is our friend. He is our pal. But what he says after he is raised from the dead, we cannot mistake him. He stood and he looked those same disciples in the face and he said, all authority of heaven and earth has been given to me. And he told them, I am your friend, but do not forget, I am your Lord. And there's something heavy that comes with those words. I'm your Lord. And in this culture, we need to be clear about making it clear to others. Yes, he's your friend, but don't forget, he's your Lord. For some people, sadly, today will be the end of the world. I don't think it'll be the end of the world as we know it. But for some people, they will take their last breath. It will be the end of the world today. And for those people, if they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when they die, they will indeed see him face to face. They will confess that he is Lord on a bent knee. But they will not be in his presence when it's all said and done. Fellowshipping with everything that heaven has to offer. Jesus said the road is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And guess why many turn away according to the scriptures? Because 
this, the teachings of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the surrendering life to Jesus is very difficult. You have to put yourself aside. And I say that because, and hear me on this, you can be a very curious, involved, church-attending learner, even believer of Christ, and not be a surrendered follower of Christ. I don't say that in judgment. I just say that in the hard reality. People say, well, I've been going to church all my life. I don't care. I want to know if you're following Christ. I want to know if, if you're signed, sealed, and delivered for your place in heaven. The Bible goes on to say later in that same chapter, it says that many will knock on the door and he will say, I don't even know you. Friends, I, I so desperately want God to know you. And I so desperately want you to know your God. Not know of him, not from a Bible study, not from a devotional, but truly walking with him. So that you can rest assured when it is the end of the world for you, you know what's happening. It means that he dictates to us our ideologies. He dictates our worldview. He dictates how we spend money. He dictates politics. He dictates morals and ethics. He does it, not us. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray with you um, right now, and um, maybe you've been attending church, maybe you've been um, attending a life group, a Bible study. You've kind of been doing this church thing for a while. Uh, maybe you've even been baptized. Maybe maybe you've been a part of it your entire life, but but you've never really transitioned to man, I'm going to not just know of him, like today, I'm going to follow him. Starting today, I'm going to look at my calendar. I'm going to look at my finances. I'm going to look at how I spend my time. I'm going to look at the TV shows I watch. I'm going to look at my internet usage. Like I'm surrendering everything today. He will dictate everything from here on out. And man, I, I do not want to talk about the gospel without giving you, or if you're listening online, an opportunity to make that kind of a decision. So I'm just going to ask that you would um, bow your heads and, and pray with me. If, if that's you, if, if you want to make that kind of a decision uh, this morning, and uh, you are ready to go from a, a believer, from a, a tender, from being involved to an actual follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you that opportunity this morning to pray that prayer. And for some of you, it will be the most difficult prayer ever because it means you have to give up. You've got to stop being in charge. And that's probably the most difficult decision a human being could ever make. So let's pray together. If that's you, you can just pray silently uh, and, and, and give this prayer to your God. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, right now, in this place, I want to give up. I want to surrender. I don't just want to be a believer in. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I know there are some hard realities. The belief in that Jesus is the only way, that I will take my sin seriously, and I will pour myself into knowing the statutes of the Bible. Please forgive me for my past and present sin. Assure me this day of salvation that I know forevermore where I will go that day when it's over. Thank you for your love and thank you for true forgiveness. In Jesus Christ. of you as well. I'm just going to have these guys just keep playing a tiny bit and just let you talk to God. Maybe one of these realities isn't as hard as another, but you can just talk to God about that. down. If, if you made a decision, you don't need to stand up. You don't need to come forward. Can you just slip your hand up real quick and put it down? I'll be in touch with you. Just talk with you about that. Thank you. 